I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me once again to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses, chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. We've come to the end of our series in the Ten Commandments, um, and Lord willing, we'll continue on in our series in the book of Deuteronomy uh, next Sunday, but today we're wrapping up our time in the Ten Commandments as we look at the Tenth Commandment. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. Let's listen closely to what God has to say to his church. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. How much land does a man need? That's the title of a short story written by the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy. It's a short story that really packs a punch. It's a story about a Russian peasant named Pahom, who's listening in on a conversation between his wife and her sister about whether city life or country life is better, the the better of the two. And as he's listening in on the conversation, he quietly agrees with his life that country life is best, uh, despite their lack of some creaturely comforts that they would have in a more urban environment. Uh, however, Pahom finds himself grumbling. If only I had more land. He says, if I had plenty of land, I shouldn't fear even the devil himself. After that, the women finished their tea and cleaned up and headed off to bed. But the devil had been there the entire time behind the stove and listening to Pahom's grumbling said, Okay, we're going to have a tussle. I will give you plenty of land, and by means of that land, I will get you into my power. As the story unfolds, Pahom acquires uh, more land, and acquires yet more land, and acquires yet more land, but it's never enough. He's constantly searching, constantly looking to acquire more and more until one day a traveling tradesman comes into town and Pahom hears about people known as the Bashkirs. The tradesman says that he's returned from a faraway place where the people have large tracts of land and are willing to sell it for next to nothing. And the thought of this cheap but fertile land filled Pahom with desire and ambition and so he took his family and his servant, and he set off to see the land of the Bashkirs for himself. Upon arrival, the Bashkirs uh, offered him a strange and surprising deal. For a very small price, <clears throat> the chief of the Bashkirs told him that he could have as much of the land that he was able to walk around in the span of a day, from sunrise to sunset. As much land as he was able to circumnavigate beginning at sunrise 
until sunset. There was just one catch, that he had to return to the very same place where he began at the start before the sunset or the deal was off. Pilum eagerly agreed to this arrangement and the next dawn he, he set off. He started his circuit and took a spade with him and every hundred yards or so marked out the land that he was claiming. But after a while he got, he got greedy and he strayed too far on one line. He kept going thinking I'll make it back in time. And when he realized his mistake, he began to run faster and faster and faster. His heart began to beat like a hammer. And he said, what will I do? I've grasped too much and ruined the whole affair. I can't make it back before sunset. A terror began to seize his heart. And he thought that he would die of the strain. So, but he kept, he kept going. He kept running. And just as he reached the foot of the hill where he began in the morning, it suddenly went dark. His heart sank. The sun had, had already set. But then he heard the Bashkirs yelling at him from atop the hill, cheering him on. They were standing on the top of the hill where they could still see the sun. And he realized that though the sun from his perspective had set, they could still see it. And so with one last gasp, he sprinted up the hill and then he collapsed where he started. Ah, what a fine fellow, the chieftain says. He has gained much land. But Pahom didn't respond. He didn't say anything. He didn't move. Because he was dead. And the spade that was now laying beside him, his servant picked it up and dug a hole just long enough for Pahom. And the story ends with Tolstoy asking the question, how much land does a man need? How much is enough? Six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. See, like the end of Tolstoy's story, the Tenth Commandment packs a punch. It is meant to make us think. It is meant to make us reconsider everything at a deeper level. As Paul explains in Romans 7 verse 7, it was this final commandment that first awakened in him the, the depths of his own sinfulness as a Pharisee and the depravity and true nature of the human heart. Unlike all the other commandments which explicitly address outward actions, the 10th commandment goes straight for our hearts. It looks deep within, shining a spotlight on our desires and ambitions and aspirations. And so with the searching nature of this commandment in mind, I want to do what we've been doing for several weeks now and consider the commandment in two parts. What is forbidden and what is required by the 10th commandment? The words of the 10th commandment are familiar enough. But slow down and read them one more time. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Boy, they, 
sure have a nice place. I wish, I wish I could have a home like that. I wish their home was my home. I'm sick and tired of my neighborhood. I need a change. Or like Pahom, if only I had a little bit more land. Then I'd be happy. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Wow, she sure is beautiful. I wish I had married someone like her. I'd be so much happier if I had a different woman as my wife. Or, wow, look, look at that man. He's, he's, he's always so nice. He's so good with kids. He seems to help out around the house. Why am I stuck with my husband when there are better men out there? Shall not covet his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. It isn't fair. We may find ourselves thinking, all of my friends, all of my neighbors, they just seem to have everything go their way. They seem to have an abundance of possessions. They, They go on all these great vacations and we're lucky if we make it to grandma's. Why am I stuck with this loser job? I wish my kids were more like their kids. Why do I have such a difficult family? Shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's, the commandment says. I wish I had his or her smarts. Boy, I wish I had her looks. Why can't I have a normal family? Why can't I run or be as strong or athletic as my friends? Why is everything in my life so disappointing when it seems like everyone else has things so easy? Does any of that sound familiar to you? Let's ask the question though, what exactly does it mean to covet? I think it's important to be clear The Tenth Commandment does not forbid every kind of desire that we might have, as if desire in and of itself were a bad thing. It's not. In fact, God created and designed us to be creatures of desire. Throughout Scripture, we find good things, including good things like desire for food, drink, fellowship, friendship, marriage, children, grandchildren, a good reputation, even a degree of prosperity for which we may have legitimate desire. See, the law against coveting is not a law against legitimate desires and feelings. Jeremiah Burroughs, someone we'll come back to a little bit later, wrote a book called The The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And if I can say it's a gem of a book, you you should read it. But in that book, he says that contentment is not opposed to the expression of affliction. Contentment is not opposed to pouring out your heart before God or talking to a friend about your troubles in the midst of suffering. That's not discontentment. Nor is it wrong to make lawful attempts to improve one's own situation. In fact, Paul urges Christians in 1 Thessalonians 4 to make it their ambition to live quietly and to work To be dependent on no one. But what is clearly and specifically forbidden in the 10th commandment. Is desiring anything that is your neighbor's. Desiring anything 
that hasn't been given to you and belongs to another. This is the key catchphrase. Anything that is your neighbor's is not to be fixated upon. It's not to be desired or craved or longed for. And have, you ever, <clears throat> have you ever experienced that sinking feeling when you see someone else prospering and you think, what, what about me? It's often very difficult to watch other people prosper beyond us, to witness someone else's success. It can make us feel like we're missing out, just as someone else's smarts can make us feel dumb, just as someone else's attractiveness can make us feel ugly. To see other people have uh, abundance can make us painfully aware of what we lack or don't have. And we can easily begin to inordinately desire things that God has not given to us, but to others. And this is precisely what the 10th commandment forbids. Longing for things that God has not given to you, but has given to others. It's such a, it's such a subtle sin, isn't it? And perhaps this is why Jesus is especially concerned to warn us about this danger when he says watch out or take care be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions see Jesus is really getting to the heart of the matter that a covetous heart in some sense truly begins to believe that life does consist in the abundance of possessions. The covetous heart is taken up with this idea, if only, if only I had, if only I looked like that, if only I had that house, if only I had that car, if only I had that family, if only I had that spouse, if only I had that career, if only I had that abundance of wealth. The Ten Commandment warns against all of these if-onlys because true life is not found in any of those things. And one of the things I, I've shared with you in the past stories of my time in the Philippines it was just a few weeks, but it had such a profound impact on me. And one of the things that really hit home when I was there, we spent time in, in several villages in deforested areas where the folks just got by with farming. And, and many of them had bloated stomachs. They were wearing the same clothes the entire time that we were there. And there were many Christians in the villages that we visited. And one of the things that just jumped out at me was their joy. Their contentment. I look, they, had, they had next to nothing, but they were full of joy and they were content in their circumstances. And it left me asking the question, what's the secret of their contentment? We'll come back to that a little bit later, but I think we need to recognize that we often fail to take the sin of coveting as seriously as we should. It's a sin that we often minimize, trivialize, and it, that is if we even bother to think about it at all. Think about it this way, you know, if you, if you committed adultery, 
If you just outright stole from someone, you went into their house and you took something that belonged to them, or if you murdered someone, chances are you're going to feel bad about that, right? Your conscience is going to be crying out. But how often do we feel that same kind of conviction whenever we're discontent? Whenever we want, whenever we crave something that we don't need and doesn't, in fact, belong to us. Believing in our heart of hearts, it is the key to our happiness. Just asking the question for you to think about, why don't we feel the same kind of conviction about that kind of sin? I think it's because we're tempted to think of covetousness as a relatively minor infraction, a mere misdemeanor, as it were, especially when it's compared to other sins like murder or adultery. We might even wonder, why did God bother to include this in his Big Ten? I mean, after all, what is so wrong about looking at your neighbor's house and wishing it was yours? What's the harm in that? Well, the answer in Scripture is found in a couple of places let me point you to Ephesians 5.5 5 and Colossians 3.5. Ephesians 5.5, 5, we read, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, what's so fascinating about both of these vice lists, as Paul lists these various sins, and on both occasions, he, he pauses and he lingers. He specifically singles out covetousness as idolatry. Now, why does he do that? Because when we covet, when we covet, we, we buy into the lie that something other than God can satisfy us. That something other than God is what we really need. We are effectively putting our trust in that thing, believing that it is the source of human beatitude. Coveting says... I can't live without that person. I can't live without that place. I can't live without that possession. And it makes a God out of our desires. And you know, to, make, to make matters worse for us, friends, we, we've, we've got to realize what we're up against. <laughs> we live in a society that actively promotes coveting, don't we? Think about the consumer culture that we live in with ad campaigns intended to provoke dissatisfaction and discontent with their product as the answer. If you were to distill it all down, the basic message of a lot of ad campaigns is without this product, you're a loser. <laughs> without this thing, you will never be happy you will never realize your full potential. 
It's all about being better and fitter and smarter and healthier and freer and more respectable and more attractive than you are now. You need it. You need the latest fashion. You need the latest smartphone. You need the latest car. You need the latest tech. You know, whatever it is, if you don't have it, you can't possibly be content. Now, is it any wonder why we live in a society where people are so deeply restless and dissatisfied? I came across a poem this week about the bankruptcy of discontentment. The poem's okay, but it it, it has a good message. I want to read it to you. Listen to it. It says, uh, It was spring, but it was summer that I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter that I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child but it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 that I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitation. And then the poem ends with this line, my life was over and I never got what I wanted. Friends, beware the lies of a discontent heart, always wanting, always desiring, but never satisfied. And that leads us to what's required by the 10th commandment. What is required by the 10th commandment? It not only prohibits coveting and discontentment, it summons us to contentment and true satisfaction of soul. It requires, again, what Jeremiah Burroughs called the rare jewel of Christian contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, Paul, writing to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy, <laughs> he warns him about those who think that godliness is a means of greedy gain. You know, there were and there are people now who think that being religious, being spiritual, is a means of gaining wealth, is a means to riches. And Paul warns Timothy about those kinds of people, but then he says, but we also need to understand, Timothy, even though there are those who think godliness is a means of greedy gain, the truth is godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what Paul says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's, it's riches, and for such riches we ought to aspire. He's telling Timothy that there is an investment we can make in our lives that truly satisfies our hearts. I think Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4. It's why we read that passage earlier Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11 and following, Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now remember his situation. It's not bright and sunny. He's been imprisoned. He's being held captive. And he says, I know how to be brought low and how to abound in 
any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. So what's the secret? It's like saying, I, 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 I'm content, I've learned the secret. So what's the secret, Paul? And he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And a few verses later, he says to the Philippians, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If I can put it this way, it's Paul's version of what David says in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. Say, I, I am satisfied when I have you. You, Lord, are enough for my heart. There are riches found in you that satisfy when I have Christ, I am content. My God supplies every need according to his riches and glory in Christ. You see, when we get Christ, our hearts find true rest. Our longing for it, whatever it is, evaporates because we've found satisfying treasure in Jesus Christ. You know, endless consumption Think about this. Endless consumption holds out the false promise that an internal lack can be fixed by external means. That's what uh, Oliver James suggests in a book that he wrote. I think this is such a clever title. The title of the book is Affluenza, How to Be Successful and Stay Sane. But he says in the book that a consumer culture holds out the false promise that an internal lack can be fixed by external means. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, compensating for an internal lack by trying to fill our lives up with all kinds of things. Seeking to medicate our misery through another Amazon purchase. Through another trip to the store. Through, through trying to compensate for the inward ache of, of in our lives with yet another purchase or another hobby or another trip or another relationship until it doesn't deliver anymore. We medicate our misery through things, but in the end it never really works because you can't plug the gap with stuff. This is what Augustine was talking about when he famously said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, when we get him, our hearts find true rest, real satisfaction and lasting and abiding contentment. And the 10th commandment commands this kind of contentment. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters, that God supplies what he demands. God provides in his son what the 10th commandment calls for. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things, Jesus says. What's needed for true life, though, God supplies 
My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Where? Where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That's where the needs of your heart and my heart are truly met. Not in stuff, but in a person. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Keep your lives free of the love of money and be content with what you have. And then it supplies the motive, the the fuel, if you like, for contentment, saying, for it is written, this is the Lord speaking, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that means we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? If the Lord is my helper, if the Lord will never leave me, if the Lord is with me, then I can learn to be content in every situation because in him I have everything that I truly need. I wonder, do you believe that? Brothers and sisters, it's worth examining your heart to see if there is anywhere that covetousness has begun to gnaw away at your soul. It's worth examining whether this craving desire that leads to so much sinful destructive behavior has got a hold of our hearts. Now maybe you don't run around like Pahom seeking to claim as much as you can, but underneath your heart is consumed by this restless desire for things that are not God. For things that do not satisfy and you just can't ever get enough that throbbing discontent is a signal it is a siren blaring telling you that you need to let go of worldly possessions and get a hold of Christ it is a sign that you are looking in the wrong places for for satisfaction the 10th commandment is a call and invitation to take And receive the riches offered in Jesus Christ. If you are looking to anyone or anything else. It is like drinking salt water. That's that's what greed and lust and endless consumption in the end are like. It's like drinking salt water. Maybe it looks like a. A a glass of water that will quench your thirst, but you take a swig and all it does is leave you feeling more thirsty. It'll never quench your thirst. But friends, there's good news because there is a fountain of living water. And if you come and drink, you will never thirst again, Jesus says. That is Christ's promise to us. He will give us the streams of living water. And if you drink him in, you will never thirst again. Another image we could use to (coughs) express this is to say, I wonder if you've ever thought about life this way. Life is a treasure hunt. And we are all searching We are all looking for treasure. All of us seek a place to place our hearts. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, 
Jesus sent. So have you found, have you found the treasure that truly satisfies? It is found in God's gift, his very own son. Do you remember the question that Paul asks? How shall he who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, also along with him graciously give us all things? Now that makes sense then when Jesus says, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let your heart find rest in Christ. Get Christ the infinite treasure. Come to the fountain of living waters and drink of him and all your needs will be supplied and you will never thirst Again, it's Christ's promise to you. You see, like like Tolstoy's story, the 10th commandment really does pack a punch at the end, doesn't it? It It reveals what so often lies behind much of our presenting symptomatic sins in our lives. It reveals what lies behind that frustrating disappointment that we so often experience in our lives And what lies underneath it all is our discontented hearts, our covetousness. Friends, contentment can be had, it can be learned in every circumstance. We can learn it when we possess the priceless treasure of Jesus Christ. May he be our treasure, the satisfaction of all of our hearts And may we drink of him so that we never thirst again. Let's pray together. Almighty God and Father, we marvel at your generosity in the gift of Jesus Christ. That grace comes to us in him. And we thank you that you have provided for us an all-sufficient Savior. And that he is to us a bottomless well of supply. And pray that we would turn our hearts away from the things of this world. And find our true rest and satisfaction in him and him alone. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen.